Good morning, good morning. We can start making our way to our seats. We love the fellowship, but we got to bring it together. It's good to see everybody this morning, this beautiful Sunday morning. All right, that was quick. Good to see everyone. I want to welcome everybody watching us online as well. We're so glad you're able to join us this morning to worship the Lord. Is everybody kind of back in the groove of life? Yes, 2023 is upon us. Schedules get back to normal. Great to see everyone kind of getting back in the groove. But we're so glad we get to worship together and come together and share life to worship our Lord and encourage one another. Speaking of getting back in the groove, this Wednesday resumes our evening activities um, with our small groups for um, just across the board for our body. Small groups are going to be happening again. And guys, we just want to encourage you, you know, from shepherding perspective, coming here once a week is wonderful. We worship together corporately, but to truly connect with the body and share life together and get to know one another, small groups is where it happens. We all know that, just encouraging you guys. So whether it's encouraging guys to come on a Sunday morning to um, enjoy one of our uh, Sunday morning Bible study classes, we have three available for the adults, um, or specifically even more too on Wednesday nights, it's just a great way to connect, great way to be discipled. Great way to make uh, just share life and community together. So we want to encourage you with that. This Wednesday, we kick it back off. Uh, the Kids Club for um, the children are continuing to go through the Gospel Project, where they're seeing Jesus and his plan for redemption throughout the whole the Bible. They just go from beginning to end. It's a great series. So that will continue on. Uh, the teenagers, we are kicking off a new series called The Crimson Thread that we're going to be going through the Old Testament we're going to be looking at 17 different Old Testament characters and how their lives and what they've experienced connects to Jesus and points forward um, and all different stories in the Old Testament and how it just points to Christ. And that's what the Crimson Thread is about, that all through the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus, pointing to his coming. So we're going to be starting that this Wednesday and uh, enjoy a good time of looking at these individuals throughout the Old Testament. Oh, Grady, I got the book. My bad, dude. You want to grab it? Okay. Sorry, guys. Talking to some folks before, and I just, whoop, they're on my desk. Man, act like I'm holding up a book by John MacArthur. You're going to be doing a book by John MacArthur um, called 12 Ordinary Men. It's about the 12 disciples and what they learned um, and how God wants to use you, too, just for his purposes in the same way. So you'll be looking at them individually, going through the book, and then how the Lord, that applies to y'all's life. I'll be led by Pastor Grady and uh, William Fox, who's one of our elders. Uh, ladies, there's two studies for you to be able to pray about and consider. The first will be a precept study of Exodus led by Karen Fowler. And the second one is a study by Jen Wilkin looking at, thank you. So men, here's what it looks like. Yes. So John MacArthur's book, 12 Ordinary Men. And this is the book the ladies will be doing um, as well called Abide, which is a study of first, second, and third John. Uh, Trish Butterfield will be leading this one. So this is one. Um, the other one is, how many of the ladies have done a precept study? Yeah, I know there's not many because it's tough. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, this is a lot of fun. Um, this is the book. There's a, just a little bit of homework and stuff throughout the week, but it's wonderfully 
um, presented and detailed. You get into some really good depth study of Exodus. So this will be uh, what Karen Fowler will be leading. So three great opportunities um, for the men and the women to be a part. Please pray about it and consider. Your children will be taken care of. Your teenagers will be taken care of. And specifically this Wednesday, Wednesday you get to enjoy some coffee and donuts to kick things off uh, with the adults in each class and just to prepare for that. No need for sign-up. Just show up and see which one of those the Lord wants you to be a part of. Also, this uh, today, we want to mention uh, today at 4.30 in the sanctuary here, uh, there is a prayer time that uh, Greg and Cecilia Teal lead um, every other Sunday. So today at 4.30 in here, just to pray for our city, our community, the church, anything that the Holy Spirit brings up, a time of intercession for the Lord. And lastly, there's some other opportunities that we're going to be presenting over the next few weeks that are coming up. Um, we'd be looking for an email that's about to come out and continue to look on our social media sites on Facebook and Instagram. We're um, on the news and events page on our website at gatewaybaptist.com. There's a lot of other opportunities coming up here in the near future to connect with people and enjoy life together. All right. Well, praise the Lord. Well, let's stand and let me read some scripture over us as we prepare our hearts to worship the Lord this, this morning. I just hope as we come together each week, I know the Lord has reminded me starting off this new year, guys, I hope we never, ever take for granted that we can be in this room. We can come together as the body of Christ. We can worship the Lord together, freely, together in unity as family. I mean, look around. It's insane. And we get to honor and to praise our God. And it's a special time. And we get to honor him and thank him. Psalm 145, this is verses 1 through 9. David declares, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the splendor of your glory and on your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. Let's worship our King this morning. Death by death. 
to put 
to you, that you're good and just, we pray for this new year as we begin that we continue to recognize who we are in all this daughters, Lord, to be reminded and to reflect on just the uniqueness of where you have each and every one of us in our different spheres of influence. You have called us to live mission. I just pray you continue to remind us of that in this new year. Reflect on your goodness, where you have us, our giftings and abilities, our talents, all that you've placed in us to be used for your glory and your purpose. Oh, it's a beautiful. 
the schedules, God, that we know you have called us to be salt and light, to represent your kingdom as God. We pray you guide and direct us as we do that each day. Um, this is the open to use our hands, our feet, our mouth, for the sake of your glory. Lord, we thank you for that opportunity to do that through Hope's ministry here in Montgomery and for Seth and Megan's Road of X leadership in that and specifically our ministry to those wonderful kids at Capitol Heights and the teachers there. I know this week we're getting back in the groove more and they'll be meeting each week with the Bible study in the morning and doing the tutoring and providing backpack meals and such. And we thank you so much for the opportunity you have to serve that community. And we pray in the name of Jesus that you would bring these young people and teachers and families that we go to to saving faith. God, we want to hear the stories of people getting saved and their lives being changed. So we ask you for that. We want to see the harvest for the sake of the kingdom, your glory and honor, that they would come to know you. Give Seth and Megan and all the volunteers wisdom, discernment, strategies, vision on what to do, how to do it, who to reach, how to reach. And God, we just continue to pray for Principal Harrison as well, and guide and direct his steps. Thank you for the opportunity he's allowed us to continue to serve there and minister to the teachers in those days. God, we just continue to pray your kingdom come and will be done in that ministry. And Lord, we thank you and ask you, God, to intervene with our government leaders. God, we, you tell us in your word to pray for our leaders. And God, we know there's been much discord and division in Washington and in these last few weeks. And God, we just pray that you would intervene. God, you're the only answer. In the name of Jesus, we ask you to bring your wisdom and your conviction and your truth into the lives of those individuals. That they would govern righteously. They would govern for what's best for your kingdom and for what's best for our nation. To bring you honor and glory. But I don't know how that's to be done, but we're asking you would bless and minister to and draw President Biden to yourself. Continue, God, to reveal yourself to give him eyes to see and ears to hear your word, your hearts. Bring those around him to be encouraging, to lead him in the right path. But we thank you that you have place and that we trust that your word providentially they're there for a reason. And we continue to ask the intervention and direct those men and women on our and Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to pray for those around the world that are taking the gospel to the nations. And Lord, we continue to thank you for the relationship we have with Pastor Mark and Haiti. Just reading his little Facebook post when the new year started and all that they've gone through the past year and him having such a joy in the midst of trials and struggles. And even in his own post, communicating there's times when he has considered leaving the pastorate and just, as he says, getting back to simple life. But time and time again, you draw him back, and he gets right back into the fight. We thank you for him. We pray you bless him, protect him, he and his family, continue to provide for them, that they take the gospel to the mountains of Haiti and to those in that dark place, to provide food, to build homes and churches. We thank you so much for him. Continue to bring a team around him to help undergird him and encourage him in that dark place, and we're so blessed to be able to know him and partner with him. And that's to bless and protect him. And Lord, we thank you for your provision. We ask you to bless the offering that's been given today online and those that give in the back. We just thank you so much. You're such a good God. And we're so blessed. We ask you to help us be good stewards of your resources and what you desire to do in this offering. 
And lastly, Lord, we thank you so much for our shepherd. We thank you for Grady. So blessed to have him, Lord, his heart to love us, to serve us, to protect us, to care for us, and to bring your word each week. He faithfully studies, and such a joy to see him in there studying each week and just knowing his heart to bring your word in a faithful way. Uh, we pray for it. We feel him afresh from the spirit. Serve to him this morning as he brings your word to us. And God, again, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for the time that you've given us. You may be seated in boys and girls first to fourth grade. You are dismissed to kids' worship. Yeah, Mr. Jeff will be leading you today. So first and fourth graders, you can head to those double doors there with Mr. Jeff, one of our elders, and he'll be taking you to kids' worship and parents. If you're new, pick up your kids as soon as the service is over in the blue hallway in the back of the gym building. So as the kids are heading on, I want to recognize someone. If you don't know, we had a young adult couple in the church get married yesterday, and they are here this morning, the day after their wedding. So Talmadge and Ashley, you guys stand up real quick. Everybody see you. So. So. We're so excited for what God's been doing in your lives and bringing you all together, and it's such a sweet time celebrating with you guys yesterday. So we love you guys, excited about this journey together. And so yes, they got married yesterday, they're leaving their honeymoon tomorrow, they're like, we want to be at church today, so they want to be with their church family. If you don't know, Ashley was actually, the day after her wedding, in the preschool teaching the kindergartners this morning in Sunday school. So thank you guys for your faithfulness to serve the Lord, we love you all. So. Well, I want you to find 1 Peter chapter 3 in your copy of God's Word, 1 Peter chapter 3. Last week we began a new section of this letter. It's a section that began with the word finally, but that wasn't the end of the book. That is a new section in Peter's thought where he's talking about how we all relate to one another and we relate to the world around us. Now, if you remember last week, you looked just at chapter 3, verse 8, and we started this section with this really big challenge to us to love one another in the church. And if you weren't here last week, verse 8 is a poem. It's a chiasm where things go together. And the, you have these phrases that have to be seen together. And so we saw last week, if we're to love one another, that end goal of giving of ourselves for the good of the others, that takes the right affections. And he showed us in verse 8, we need to have sympathy and tenderheartedness for one another. Because we saw last week, those affections come from right thinking. And in verse 8, he showed us the thinking we needed was to have a common purpose and to have humility in how we view one another. But as we saw last week, that is impossible on our own. We will never think rightly about one another. We will never feel rightly about one another. We will never act rightly towards one another if it's up to us. It takes the grace of God to change us in these ways. Now, as we come to verse 9 today, we're going to see many of the same things. This is written to all believers. If you know Christ, this is God's will for you. Like last week, this is going to call us to have a radically different perspective on how we view other people. And just like last week, what we're coming to in verse 9 today is absolutely impossible apart from the grace of God. You and I are not going to be able to produce in our own lives the type of life verse 9 shows us by just sheer determination or New Year's resolutions. It takes the grace of God changing us. So what is God's will for us that we're going to be seeing this morning? And it's how we treat those who have hurt us. Now, this is not a fun verse. This is not an exciting verse, but this is a verse that we need because this is showing us how we relate to those who have wronged us and have wounded us, particularly with their words. So friends, as you look at your own life and think about the things you've dealt with in your life, how have you responded to people who have wronged you? How have you responded to people who have wronged you? In life, when someone has lied to you or about you, how have you responded? We found out someone has slandered you or gossiped about you. How have you responded 
And even when people have hurt you, and then you hear the other people praising their successes and what a good person they are, what happens in your heart when you hear those type things? How do you respond when you have been wronged? Now, the natural response of us, our fleshly response is to get even, isn't it? It's to pay back, it's to get revenge, it's to retaliate. As I was studying this week, one of the authors I read said something interesting. He said, payback is planted in the bottom of our hearts. Every one of us is born a retaliator. That one just sunk in me. Payback is planted in the bottom of our hearts. Every one of us is born a retaliator. He goes on to say, you do not have to learn to hit back. You don't have to learn to get mad at someone who crosses you. That is just you, the fallen you. And friends, that is a default response of our flesh. When we're wronged, we want to get even. We want to respond to evil with evil, wrongs with wrong, harsh words said to us with harsh words said back. And friends, it starts when we're little. We're born that way. If you go back to the nursery right now with our preschoolers, and this may happen this morning, if a child takes a toy from another child in the four or fives class this morning, that four or five-year-old who had the toy stolen from him is not going to be like, I'm so thankful I get to sacrifice this toy for the good of the other child. I pray that God will bless this child and bring great delight to him or her with this toy, and I will find something else to delight in instead. That doesn't happen down the hall. Now, our teachers wish that happened down the hall, but that's not what's happening down there. Payback is planted in the bottom of our hearts. We are all born retaliators. We want to get even. But what Peter's going to show us this morning in verse 9 is that payback, retaliation, hurtful words are the exact opposite of God's will for us. That's not what God has for us. God has a better plan for us in how we relate to people who have hurt us. So what is that plan? What does God want us to do as his people? That's what we see in verse 9 this morning. So as we look at it, can I ask you to please stand in honor of the reading of the word of God? Look at just one verse this morning, 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 9. I'm reading out the English Standard Version, and we'll have the words on the screen. Here's God's will for us. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word shows us what to expect in this life. We thank you that your word shows us how to respond. And Lord, as we come to this text, Lord, this is not how any of us in our flesh want to respond. And so we ask for much grace for you to show us your will for us, to show us how you desire for us to relate to the world around us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, as we come to this text, what we're going to see in the weeks and months to come, we come once again to the reality of hardships and suffering. You may be thinking, okay, Peter's talked a lot about suffering. And yes, you're exactly right. He's talked about a lot. And don't worry, he's got a lot more to say on this topic in the chapters to come. But right now, once again, he reminds us of the reality that you and I live in a world full of brokenness, a world full of sin, a world full of suffering. And as such, we will experience hardships and suffering in this life. In verse 9, he highlights two types of hardships that you and I will experience. Look back at the first phrase here. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. So the first type of hardship we experience is just evil. This is a big, broad term that refers to any of the wrongs or sins done to us. This reminds us that in this life, you and I will be sinned against. Now, for these original readers who are scattered across the region that he's writing to, they would face evil. They would face discrimination. They would face mistreatment. They would face imprisonment. Some of them would even face death because of their faith in Christ. Life was hard for them. People were sinning against them. And it reminds us that in this life, we are not immune from experiencing other people's sins against us. And friends, many of you have experienced this. You have been physically hurt by others. You've been bullied. You've had things stolen. You've had people take advantage of you. You've experienced evil directed at you in your life. 
But there's a second type of suffering that we can endure as well, and perhaps it's the more common one that happens much more regularly, at least in our context, where we are, and that's the second phrase, reviling for reviling. Reviling has to do with speech. It's when someone speaks in an evil way about another person. Reviling would be abusive speech. It would be insulting speech. It would be speech that harms another person. It's when someone speaks in a sinful way about you or to you. You have to realize at the time, this culture was an honor-shame society. The most important thing in the culture of the time was not material wealth or all the things that a lot of times we run after in our culture. The most important thing in this culture at the time was your reputation. And so reviling was one of the worst possible offenses to the people at the time. If you insulted someone, if you shamed them, if you brought them down and brought down their reputation, that was one of the worst insults, and it happened through your words. And because these early Christians were different, because they loved Christ and their lifestyle was so different, the lost people around them would try to shame them, would try to discredit them, would try to do all they could to ruin their reputation. My friends, human nature doesn't change, and the same still happens today. Many of you have experienced being reviled. People have gossiped about you. People have lied to you. People have lied about you. People have said hurtful things to you. Some of you may have had people express direct disdain or hatred of you. Some of you have people giving you cold shoulders and ignoring you. Some people have tried to ruin your reputation. If you've experienced those type of things, you've experienced being reviled. And tragically, it's not just from outside the church. Many of you have been hurt by the words of other believers as well. But Jesus warned us that this is what life would be like. John chapter 15, verses 18 to 20. Jesus warns us, if the world hates you, know that it's hated me before it hated you. Verse 19, he carries on. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. And friends, as I've said often, that's not the promise we frame and put over our sofa, is it? But that's the reality of what Jesus has told us, that in this life, if we really live for him and love him and seek his glory, that we will be hated and people will revile us and people will sin against us because we love Christ. So we can either pretend that's not going to happen and just somehow in our mind have these dreams that God's going to get us from birth to death in the safest, easiest, wealthiest, most comfortable, painless way possible, or we can embrace God's word that tells us that life is going to be hard, but that tells us how we're to respond. Peter tells us that we're going to experience evil. Peter tells us that we're going to be reviled, not to discourage us, not for us to get down. He tells us this so that we can stand firm in God's grace, so that we can respond in a way that glorifies God when, not if, but when these things happen to us. So how are we to respond when people sin against us? How are we to respond when people revile us with their words? And the answer is quite simple. You've heard me use it before. We put off something and we put on something. We rid something from our lives, but we replace it with something else. Put off, put on. Now, if you're new to Gateway and you haven't heard us talk about put off, put on before, it's a truth that you find in the book of Ephesians when Paul writes to the people in Ephesus. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 and 24, he gives this beautiful picture of how we grow in the Christian life. He tells us to put off, to get rid of, to change our old self. That was our sinful ways, which belong to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. So we put off that part of us. And what do we do? We are seeking to be renewed, changed in the spirit of your minds. And what do we do instead? Verse 24, he tells us to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. So God's pattern for our Christian life is to put off things that are sinful and to put on to replace them with things that are Christ-like. So 
we will be sinned against. People will revile us with their words. So what do we do? We First of all, we put off something. What do we put off? Go back to verse 9. Do not, here's the put off, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. We put off seeking revenge. We put off making others pay for how they hurt us. We seek trying to get even with people who have hurt us. God's will is for us to put off retaliation. Again, friends, as I mentioned earlier, that's our natural tendency. Retaliation is what you see in the church nursery. It's what you see when you turn on the news and watch global conflicts. Retaliation is what you see all over social media. Just look at the arguments that happen. Someone reviles, someone reviles in return. This is back and forth, downward spiral of these arguments. It's what you see in many relationships with a person who's always offended and ready to fight back over it. But if we're honest, friends, it's what I see in my heart and what I think you see in your heart as well. We're so eager to want to get even. We're so eager to want to defend ourselves. We're so eager to want to have the last word in the argument. We're so eager to retaliate, to try to repay wrongs done to us. And God says, my will for you as my children is to not do that. Put that off. That's not my plan for you. Now, an important clarification here for us on this. This is dealing with personal revenge. This does not forbid the government from defending a country. This does not forbid the police from pursuing justice and punishing wrongdoers. This is what happens when I have been offended and how I respond to offense. This is not about bigger government, God-established authority for government. Peter's already told us that that's a good thing. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. We're told to be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor or supreme, verse 14, or to governors sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. God's word has already affirmed the place of government to punish wrongdoers, to seek justice. But this is dealing with personal offenses. When, I, when someone has offended me, this is what happens in my heart towards them. We are to put off seeking revenge. As we see in scripture over and over again, to holiness is not just stopping to do something. Holiness is replacing the wrong with what Christ would do, is putting it on with a Christ-like response. So it's not enough for us when someone reviles us, when someone has hurt us, for us just to be passive and be like, yeah, not going to do anything, I'm not going to get even. That's not holiness. Holiness requires one more step. It requires putting on something instead. And what do we put on instead? Verse 9 here. This is where it gets even harder. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, there's one word here that we're to do, we're to bless. Now that's incredibly shocking, friends, that God's will for us is not just to put off reviling when someone's reviled, to put off seeking revenge. God is calling us to bless, not just to bless God, but to bless the person who has been hurting us. Now what does it mean to bless a person? This word bless in the original Greek language, which Peter wrote, is the word eulogeo. That's where we get the English word eulogy from. Think about a eulogy. What happens in a eulogy at a funeral? Someone speaks hopefully, nice things about the person who died. Now, there's some rare exceptions where it doesn't happen, and those make go viral on social media. But a eulogy is supposed to be kind words, right, about the person who has passed away. It's speaking positively, kindly about the person. Now, that's a little bit of the sense of what we see here. But in the early church, they understood blessing as being something more than that. They understood blessing to be primarily talking to God about that person and seeking God's favor for that person. So this is less about you go say kind words to the person who hurt you, but you go talk to God about the person who hurt you. You go seek God's favor for the person who has hurt you. This is a eulogy directed at God, to God, about the people who have been wronging you. In other words, God's saying, put off repaying that person and come talk to me about that person and come talk to me specifically 
not to go seek revenge, but talk to me about pursuing their good. This may sound strange, but this is what you see Jesus commanding in the New Testament as well. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. Jesus says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. We put off revenge and we put on talking to God, seeking God's blessings for that person. We see it also in Luke chapter 6, verse 28. In Luke 6, we're told Jesus says, bless those who curse you. And here's again, he clarifies, pray for those who abuse you. We bless people, we eulogize people who have hurt us by primarily talking to God, seeking God's favor on that person. This is exactly what Jesus did on the cross when he experienced the worst form of evil, the worst form of reviling. Luke chapter 23, verses 33 and 34. When Jesus hung on the cross, he modeled for us what this looks like to bless those who persecute you. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Next verse, look at what Jesus does. And Jesus said, Father, so he's eulogizing them, he's blessing them by doing what? Praying to the Father. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. This is what Stephen did, one of the first deacons in the early church, a man full of the Spirit of God and wisdom. Acts chapter 7, verses 58 to 60. He was stoned for his faith. In Acts 7, when they cast him, Stephen, out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Verse 59. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And notice what his last prayer is. What he does, he blesses those who are stoning him. He eulogizes them how he says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And with that, he fell asleep. He prayed for those who were physically killing him at that point. And notice what they prayed for. Jesus on the cross or Stephen is being stoned. It's not like, Lord, I pray you give him a raise in his job. I pray you'll give him that new car and that big house he's always wanted. I know he's been hurting me, but bless him with a lot of money in, in the next few years. He's praying for their spiritual good. He's turning the focus because this person is mistreating Stephen. These people are killing Jesus because they hate God and they hate God's people. Their hearts are far from God. And Stephen understood what awaited them in all of eternity. And so the best way he could bless them is to cry out to God to save this person before it's too late. He's praying for their spiritual good, that God would open their eyes and give them grace to repent before it's too late. See, even the New Testament doesn't let us stop with prayer. New Testament says, yes, do that, bless them, but as you have appropriate opportunities to seek their good in other ways as well. Look at Romans chapter 12, verses 17 to 21, in this amazing text about how we're to respond to suffering. Romans 12, 17, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. But leave it to the wrath of God, for it's written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Now notice this, verse 20. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So in places where we have opportunity, we are called to pray for the spiritual good of the person who's hurting us. But even more, we're called to, if we have opportunities, to seek their practical needs as well, to seek their physical needs, their physical good as well. You see the same thing in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 15. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Now just a quick word here of clarification as well. For people who are in abusive situations, this is not a call for you to stay and continue to let the person abuse you. 
This is a call to pray for that person, not let bitterness grow in your heart. But there are places where you have to withdraw for your own safety. This is not a call to passivity and sit under abuse. This is a call for what's happening in your heart to love people the way God loved people. To seek their spiritual good, and if you have appropriate opportunities, to seek their temporary physical good as well. But a clarification on blessing people. You're not blessing people if you're like, well, I'm going to pray for them, but I don't want to. That's not, pray, that's not blessing here. One of the authors I read says, you do not bless them if while you say these things, you're hating them. That is not blessing. That is hypocrisy. And this author is right. This is not a call for us to clench our teeth and be like, God, would you say to that person, but I hate them. Or here's your water. I hate you. That, that's not blessing. Blessing is a heartfelt change that God gives in us to where we are seeking the eternal good and the physical good of that person who hates us. So go back to our command, verse 9. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. Now that raises two questions for us. Why? Why in the world should we try to bless people who hurt us? And the second question is how? How in the world can we do this? This is not natural. This is not easy. So how do we do it? So why and how? First of all, why should we do this? And Peter gives us two reasons here in the text. First reason he gives us is God's will for us. We shouldn't need much more than that. This is God's will, God's good plan for us, what God has called us to do. Look at the next phrase of verse 9. For to this you were called. For, it's a Greek word here that shows the reason for what he's just said, the reason why we're to not revile but to bless. For this, for this suffering but doing good, we are to bless and said this is God's calling on us, his people. This is God's will for us. This is to what we have been called. Now, this is not new in this letter. Peter's are just repeating what he's told us before. Go back to chapter 2, verse 20. For what credit is it when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, again, let's just pause right there. God's plan for us involves suffering, but then us responding with good. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Now, we need to get our minds around that, friends, because that's not how we normally think. Suffering but responding with good, we're told, is a gracious thing in God's sight. Then verse 21, for to this you have been called, suffering but responding with good. This is our calling. Peter's just repeating it in our text today. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. And what's the example Christ give us? How did Christ respond to unjust suffering when people sinned against him? Verses 22 and 23, he committed no sin as he responded to them, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, same word we're looking at today, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And that is the pattern for us. God is calling us to follow the example of Christ as his will for us. So go back to verse 9, just like Christ, we're to not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, to bless, for to this you were called. God has called us to live this way. But don't miss something, friends. This calling has a missionary purpose to it. This calling has an evangelistic purpose to it. There's much in why God would call us to be this way, but one is it takes the gospel forward. Friends, when we seek the practical good of people who are reviling us, When we pray for the eternal good of people who have hurt us, it is a powerful witness. This is what he's calling us to throughout this letter, is to have such a countercultural life that people go, that's really weird. I got mad at them and they blessed me in some way. We are to advance the gospel by living this way. Peter's already told us this. Go back to chapter 2, verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles. He means the non-believers honorable. 
So when they speak against you, again, that's not an if, when they speak against you as evildoers, when they revile you, they may see your good deeds in response and glorify God on the day of visitation. That when we bless instead of reviling, they see the difference, and God will use that to draw some of them to himself, to open their eyes to the gospel. That means perhaps in heaven one day, we will worship worship alongside people who reviled us in this life. In heaven one day, we may get to stand beside people who hate us in this life, but are now our believers who love Jesus, people for whom we prayed and God answered. Think back to Stephen. We looked at this earlier, but go back to Acts chapter 7, verse 60. Remember what happened with him? And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice. Last thing he ever said on this earth before he saw Jesus face to face was a prayer. Do not hold this sin against them. He was praying for those who were stoning him. Who was in the group he was praying for? Go back two verses to verse 58 of Acts 7. And when they cast him out of the city and stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. So one of the last things, the last thing that Stephen does is he prays for the people killing him, including Saul, the great persecutor of the church. And what did God do? Acts chapter 9, verse 17, you know the story well. So Ananias departed and entered the house. Laying hands on him, he said, Brother Saul... The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. God, in his sovereign plan, put it on Stephen's heart to pray for his persecutors. God answered that prayer, and you have now in heaven both Stephen, who was stoned by Saul, and Saul, who is now the Apostle Paul, worshiping God together. When we bless instead of revile, when we pray for the eternal good of the person who is hurting us, when we seek to do good as appropriate to people who have done evil to us, God can use that to advance the gospel and change their hearts. So why do we live this way? Because God's called us to do it for a myriad of reasons, but including to advance his gospel, to make himself known in the world. But there's a second reason that we're given here for why we're to do this, and quite simply, as God promises to bless us, when we do this, when we do not respond with reviling, but we seek the eternal and the temporal good of those people who are, who are hurting us, God promises to bless us. Notice this very last phrase, for to this you were called so that you may obtain a blessing. We are promised, friends, that God will give us something much more satisfying than revenge. If we trust God to bless us, we will find something much more fulfilling than getting even. Now, we're going to explore what this means a lot more in the next week because the next few verses really clarify and explain what type of blessing it is and what it means. But for now, realize that when we seek God's grace to obey here, God promises something that will satisfy us and fill us much more than any pleasure we would get from just getting even with that person. So why do we obey this hard command? It's God's call on us, and God promises to bless us when we do so. That raises the last question for today. How is this possible? Again, like I mentioned earlier, everyone had a laugh at it. You don't naturally have a, a preschooler in there be like, here, take my toy. I want to bless you today, and I'll pray for you while you steal my toy from me. That's not how we respond then, or it's not our default to respond now. How is it possible for us to really respond with blessing when we have been wounded? If you think back to verse last week, if you were here with us last week, verse 8 was a chiasm where there was two ideas that lead to two ideas that lead to the desired Outcome, And it's kind of the same idea here, though not the poetic structure is the same thought. If we want the action of being able to bless other people when they hurt us, it'll take a certain feeling in our heart, but those feelings are going to come from the right thinking that we have. Our right thinking, the battles won or lost in our mind, will shape our affections, and those affections will shape how we respond in these situations. So what do we think about? What do we focus our minds on if we want to live this way? 
And can I suggest, quite simply, we focus on the attributes of God. We focus on His characteristics, His nature. That is the foundation, the right thinking we need to live this way. Now, what attributes of God do we talk about? I want to suggest three. Three that we can focus in on to help us live out verse 9. Number one, we think about the justice of God. We think about the justice of God. That God is a God of justice. He loves justice. He loves righteousness. And he will ultimately bring about justice. No sin will go unpunished. No sin will be overlooked. And one day every wrong will be made right by the holy judge. We just sang about that in one of our songs before the sermon. He's a judge of the secrets of the thoughts of men. He knows everything. And he will one day judge all. That frees us, friends, because we don't have to be the one to make justice happen in our own personal lives. Romans chapter 12, verse 19. Let's go back to that text. We saw it earlier, but beloved, never avenge yourselves. Do not repay evil for evil. Do not revile when reviled. Why? Leave it to the wrath of God. For it's written, vengeance is mine. Vengeance doesn't belong to us. Wrath does not belong to us. That is God's responsibility. He is the judge, not us. And he is saying, trust me to take care of it. I am the judge. And what happens is we trust God to do that. Verses 20 and 21 tell us what happens next. We go to verse 20 there. To the contrary, we trust that God will do vengeance. We don't have to. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. By so doing, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Then verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. If we trust the justice of God, friends, we can be freed up to bless instead of having to take it into our own hands to get justice. So we think about God's justice. Second of all, think about God's mercy and patience. Think about God's mercy and patience. Yes, those two attributes, but we're going to put them together on this. Think about his mercy and patience with you because we were no different than the people who were reviling us. We were no different than the people who were sinning against us. We were sinners in need of grace, just like the people who were hurting us. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 tells us about the patience of God. It's a beautiful text. 2 Peter 3, 9. We have it up there. I'll jump ahead for us. There it is. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. And as he is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. Friends, aren't you thankful that God didn't treat you as your sin deserved? But he was patient with you, and he brought you to a place where he opened your eyes to his glory, and you opened your eyes to the gospel. If we understand his mercy to us, and we understand his patience to us, and we understand his heart to draw in more lost people to himself, it will help us have the right response. This is what Jesus told us to think correctly on this. Luke chapter 6, verses 35 and 36. But love your enemies, and do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind the ungrateful and evil. Notice that we're told to do good because he's done good to us. And ultimately, verse 36, be merciful, even as your father in heaven is merciful. The more we think about the mercy and patience of God, the more we find strength to live that out in our own life. But one more attribute of God that we should think about to live out these verses is God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness. That God will always do what God has said he will do. That God will always be true to his nature. That God is always faithful to everything he has promised. We sung about that one earlier today also, that it's faithfulness through the night. When life is hard and people are reviling us, we can rest on the faithfulness of God. Look at some of what God has promised us. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 7. Just think about the hope that we have in thinking of God's faithfulness to do these things when we're experiencing evil. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, there it is again, his mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith 
for our salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. And this she rejoiced, though, now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, the trials of evil, the trials of reviling, so that, verse 7, the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, that is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Friends, that means that when you endure reviling, when you endure hardships, when other people sin against you, God is promising those aren't going to last forever. This life is temporary. God is promising and he's faithful that he's going to be glorified in the midst of your struggles. He's promising that he's going to use these struggles, as painful as they are, to grow you because he loves you. And he's promising that you have an inheritance so much better than what you can imagine. This, the sufferings of this life will pale in comparison to what he has promised you. As we think about the faithfulness of God, we find strength to get through those difficulties now. Now, friends, if we think about God's justice, if we think about his mercy and patience, if we think about his faithfulness, what affections grow in us? Because remember, those thoughts shape our affections and the affections shape our actions. What affections grow in us? There's one in particular, trust in God. The more we think about the faithfulness of God, the more we think about the justice of God, the more we think about his mercy to us, the more we can experience trusting in him. And the more we trust God with our lives, with our circumstances, with our futures, even with our sufferings, even the fate of those who have harmed us, the more we can respond like Jesus did. This is what we're told Jesus did. First Peter chapter 2, verse 23. When he, Jesus, was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. How did Jesus do this? Notice this. Jesus himself, he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus went through all that and responded perfectly because he was trusting the Father and he's modeling for us what you and I can do. The more we think on the attributes of God, the more we can trust God and the more we can then respond with blessing instead of repaying. So let's bring all that together. Here's the challenge for us and the main idea of verse 9 for us today. God's grace transforms us to trust him so that we can bless those who wrong us. It's God's grace that changes. This is not a text to go try harder in 2023 to be kind to people who hurt you. That's not what this text is about. This text is a call for us to do what we can't do, and that is to let God's grace transform us, not just to act rightly, but God's grace to help us know who he is. God's grace to change us so that we so trust God that we are able to respond in God-glorifying ways even to people who hurt us. Friends, the more we put ourselves in the path of grace where God grows us, the more we immerse ourselves in Scripture, the more we immerse ourselves in prayer, the more we immerse ourselves in community, the more we spend time thinking about the attributes of God and praying the attributes of God and discussing the attributes of God with one another, the more we will find we are trusting God. Even if life doesn't make sense, even if life is hard to us, we will begin to find a supernatural strength in us, not because of anything we've done, but because God is using his word and using prayer and using the Holy Spirit and using Christian community to grow in us a deep-seated trust of him so that when all those hardships come, we respond in biblical ways. And when people revile us, we bless. When people sin against us, we bless instead of getting evil, even. So friends, back to our opening question. How do you respond when people have sinned against you? What have you done when people have sinned against you? God's plan is for us to be so in awe of him so aware of his character, his nature, so in awe of his grace, so overwhelmed and transformed by who he is that what flows is a supernatural response of us seeking the eternal and temporary good of those who have hurt us. So friends, let that be a challenge for us this week to long to know God more. Best place to start is in the scripture, is in prayer, 
to jump into communion. If you really want to dig on the attributes of God, we've got several books in the hall in the Resource Center to help you explore this. But let's be a people this week, not who try harder, but who um, su- submit ourselves to the will of God to understand who he is and grow in knowing him so that he can transform us to respond as he would have us respond. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for those, those passages that just give us hope and make us feel good. Lord, we thank you for these passages that stretch us to think this is really hard and difficult. We thank you for the passages that point us to the eternal hope, and we thank you for the passages that remind us of the brokenness of this world now. Lord, we need both. And so as we come to texts like this, Lord, I pray we would not leave discouraged today of thinking about how hard life can be, but I pray today we would leave hopeful in you, knowing that you are holding everything, just as we sang earlier today, that you are holding our tomorrows and we can trust you with our tomorrows. Lord, help us not be fearful. Help us not be an anxious people. Lord, help us be a people who so understand your faithfulness, who so understand your goodness and your mercy and your patience and your justice and your wrath and all of who you are, that we realize we can trust you with everything, with the good and the bad, with the joys and with the sorrows. We can trust you because you're holding it all and you're bringing good to us and to others and ultimately to yourself through that. So Lord, I pray that you'll grow us in this. Lord, as I think about this text, this is not my natural response. Lord, you know in my own heart, I so want to get even. I so want to defend myself. But Lord, you're calling us to something better. So Lord, in ways that we're not responding biblically, I pray that you would give us Holy Spirit conviction to repent to talk to you and to acknowledge, Lord, I have not been responding to wrongdoers this way. And Lord, forgive me and help me change and grow me. Lord, I do pray you would do that, that you would so be giving us your grace, not just the grace that saves us, but the grace that transforms us. I pray you'd be so doing that in our lives that we will find an overflow that we don't even expect, an overflow of joy, an overflow of peace, an overflow of desiring to bless all those that we meet. So Lord, as we've already acknowledged, we just want to say right now, Lord, we cannot manufacture this. We can't create this type of response, but you can. So Lord, be shaping us into a people that can only be explained by your supernatural grace transforming us. Because we know when you do that, Lord, we will find great, great joy. And God, you'll get all the glory. So we ask you to do that for us right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? We're going to sing a closing song this morning. It's a song that you know called, Is He Worthy? We're going to ask the question and answer it. Do you feel the world is broken? And we do. We felt the evil. We felt the reviling. But there's also so much hope in the song. Do you wish that he can make all things new? And we do, because he is going to do it. So let this song be a song of worship, a song of hope, as we look to the day when Christ restores all things. Do you feel the world is broken? We do. Do you feel the shadows Is it good that we remind ourselves of this? 
ransom the slave Is he worthy Is he worthy Of our blessing and honor and glory Is he worthy of this He is Does the Father truly love us? He does. Does the Spirit move among us? He does. And does Jesus our Messiah hold forever those He loves? He does. Does our God intend to dwell again with us? of what we believe as well as as a statement and a challenge to ourselves this I think we have the words up on the screen first Peter chapter 2 verses 23 and 24 as we think about the example of Christ the command we have to obey but looking to him as our hope in this let's say verses 23 and 24 out loud together to close when he was reviled he did not revile in return when he suffered he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. No, Father, what 
precious truth that is, that knowing that we are in Christ, you have forgiven us of all of our sin. You have restored us. You are changing us. And Lord, I just pray we'd rest in that this week, that we think about your faithfulness. We think about how worthy you are, and that would drive us to long to know you more, and that would change every part of our lives. Do it for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, Gateway family. Have a great Sunday afternoon ahead.